after taking a good look at the uh, the film. <laughs> Episode 31 of Seattle Overload is here, and we're back with news of some Seattle Seahawks hires on their coaching staff. Griffin, immediate reactions to the now official Seahawks.com news. Um, you didn't ask me how I was first. Well, a little awkward. I kind I'm of fine. phased that out. How are you? Yeah, no, we've got real. We've got. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm good too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So they made it official. I the main thing I was wondering was if, um, the reported titles would would hold, just because I don't know like what the people that are sourced up like if how much of that is just educated guessing, um, or if it was like informed or half and half, uh, because it, especially when um when Carl Scott was reported first as being hired. And I thought like, is that like a fallback plan? Cause how does he fit with Sean Desai? But as it turns out, Carl Scott is indeed the passing game coordinator and defensive backs coach. And Sean Desai is associate head coach hyphen or dash defense. So, um, and Clint Hurd is of course the defensive coordinator. So that's an interesting dynamic. You wonder what the hierarchy is, who does what, what those roles mean. Etc. as it fluid blah 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 um and yeah it looks like john glenn sticks at linebacker with ken norton jr out i guess that's good with for continuity for the linebackers especially looks like aaron curry has a little promotion slash role change which i know you've got a lot to say there you were tweeting about it earlier um some other lower level assistants um kind of got elevated naturally um yeah what it what did um oh and sanjay law is back uh passing sanjay. coordinator sanjay as long as uh, as well as um wide receiver coach but it's interesting that he got passing game coordinator i guess dave canales becomes quarterback coach with austin davis out but what what were your initial reactions well real quick i've just noticed that uh nate carroll his title obviously he was wide receivers coach last year his title is now Senior Offensive Assistant, which is quite the uh, way of sort of giving him a role still on the offense. Uh, yeah. My immediate reaction was, I mean, we 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 sort of immediately reacted to this. Uh, feels like a month ago now. But now it's official. It's, it's exciting, isn't it? Because on the defensive side, uh, you have this kind of blend of, of all the things that you'd like to see, really. Like, I mean... Pete Carroll himself, uh, in Win Forever, he wrote, putting together a staff may be the most important part of any head coach's job, and I've always enjoyed it. I'm often asked what I look for when hiring coaches. The first thing I look at is a person's competitiveness and work ethic. I also like to hire young and promote from within. 
There have been exceptions along the way, of course, but for the most part, I would rather get someone who's open-minded and full of competitive fire, even if it comes at the expense of a certain amount of experience. Well, obviously, Clint Hurt, you know, he has experience. He's been coaching since 2003, but he is also still fairly young at 43 years old. He's also that kind of in-house promotion. You've got Sean Desai, who's 38. He's been coaching since 2006, so still experienced. And then you've got Kyle Scott, who is the youngest of the three, uh, 36 years old, but he's still been coaching since 2007. So you've got experience, youth, and a bit of an in-house promotion. Yeah, they missed out on Ed Donatel, which is yeah, a bit, a, bit, a bit of a shame, but in the sense that he would have a different dynamic to Carroll. They'd have been chumming it up, I imagine, uh, reliving the 1983 Pacific Tigers days. But, you know, aside from m- missing his wealth of experience, and yeah. it may well have been an either or for him because I guess they could have given him a, uh, a senior title, um, senior defense assistant, uh, or senior, I don't know, associate head coach. Uh, can you have two associate head coaches? I don't know. But um, there are no rules. Anyway, keeps, yeah. Yeah. But the, um, yeah. The Desai thing, let, let's, let's, let's deal with him. Uh, first as, as a newcomer uh are the seahawks going to be running the chicago bears defense and the Vic Fangio yeah, what is, defense what 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 are, what do these moves mean for this for, for the team right like that's that's the big question um i think the first thing you go toward is the fact that they promoted clint hurt to be the defensive coordinator i think that right off the bat indicates that they have the general skeleton of what they want to be that they captured this past season by promoting him means like them doubling down on that idea. And then by bringing in Sean Desai, well, what Seattle transitioned to this year kind of was the Pete Carroll version of Fangio stuff, if you will. So by bringing in Sean Desai, that's like, all right, Clint Hurd is the guy. We want Sean Desai to help guide it, help coach it. Bringing in Carl Scott, who comes from Minnesota Vikings, um, you know, his background in quarters and they play quite a bit of cover too, but mostly a too high world, which is what Seattle was this year. It's really like, all right, Clint, you're the guy. We're going to bring in assistance that will help you guide it. They'll help you on the back end. Um, Pete is saying we want the right guys in his mind to coach the defense, but the defense, what it needs to be, they more or less have already settled on minus some, you know, minor adjustments here and there, and really just like toying with percentages. It's not what are they going to do, it's how much of what. That would be the big question moving forward. And I think they would have done whatever that is anyway had they hypothetically kept Ken Norton Jr. and Andre Curtis. But again, it's about getting guys that have a lot of familiarity with that system um, to coach it. Um, So, yeah, so so Sean Desai, I mean, his role is associate head coach defense. So how do you how do you think that, that ties in with Clint Hurt being the coordinator and Carl Scott being the passing game coordinator and, and hands-on DB coach? Well, it's it's an interesting one. because uh, you could on the face of it, as uh your your pal has theorized on Twitter, it could be a too many cooks in the kitchen scenario. How <laughs> I don't think it is. I mean, you saw even Carol himself mention on Seahawks.com in that official article about how Desai is an old friend of her. And so, you know, their their past uh, working relationship with the Bears, where they spent um, uh, three seasons together, they're obviously lean on that. And 
the thing with her is he is obviously uh, defensive line focused. Uh, he'll, I think, be responsible for the front. And I, I, you made this point, but an associate head coach, his role is more likely to be filling in where needed, right? And that that can be more of like a wider level of like how the coverage fits the front. You can lean on the size experience in terms of, uh, you know, his one year of being a defensive coordinator. He's obviously got a PhD in educational administration. Uh, he's a, also a political science and biology undergrad, which is like not typical uh, background for, the, for uh, you know, NFL coaching. Maybe it is the future with these, these young guys, but uh, I think like you said, Desai is going to kind of fit in where needed, obviously leaning on his understanding with Hurt that they established in Chicago and, and Scow said they are buddies. And I don't know. It, he will, he obviously is going to try not to step on Kyle Scott's toes. But then if we think about what a defensive passing game coordinator is, that is kind of just a more senior way of calling someone a defensive backs coach, right? Like right. Andre Curtis, uh, you know, he obviously, I think, clearly emphasized certain things to DBs. And we saw when he was absent how their kind of execution fell off and the coverage just lacked the, the details required to be good. However, I don't necessarily think he had... I think it's all just a collective process. And obviously, yeah. he's still the main figure of Pete Carroll being the guy who ultimately is still his defensive system. Um, in the hurt years, we've seen more kind of Fangio-ish concepts come together, like bonus fire zones is another thing. Like, uh, you know, they're running Clio, which is a bit like cover eight, where it's um, half quarter, quarter, um, aggressive zone match. But then there's bonus fire zones where basically they, they rush three, they, they drop a bonus dropper who's just playing in a, a, in a zone, but everyone else on the back end is playing three deep, three under fire zone coverage, um, to, hence the bonus aspect of the extra dropper. Um, you, uh, sorry, you, uh, I'll be sorry. <laughs> Okay, I won't be sorry. Um, you <clears throat> bonus fire zones. You don't rush three. You you rush. Uh, you you're rushing. Four. You're rushing four. It's like fire zone spacing, but then you just get a seventh dropper yeah. in an extra window. Yeah, and but um, then the, the, where my mind was going with that was the Seahawks in the past have done similar. You like I'm talking passes in 2010. Like they've rushed three uh and dropped an extra guy with playing tight coverage on the back end with everyone else like so it's yeah. not it's not like too far from what they are and obviously it's still in carol's system and, and language but uh to me it did speak of a bit of a fangio influence something that um brian uh blitzology vaughn had uh, pointed out to us a while back as well yeah so yeah i mean, yeah, I I, mean I, what, how do you see the fit yeah, at a glance, just real quick, scheme-wise, I mean, like, two things that jump out is that Seattle's playing a lot of bear, and Fangio, yeah. at least recently, is doing a lot of pure bear, even kind of getting into the tight world a little bit, at least Staley a little bit more. Seattle did some of that this year. And then, of course, Seattle played a lot of half-quarter-quarter, like you said. Seattle calls it Cleo. That's their version of it. Um, that's the, you know, like the hallmark coverage in the league right now, it seems. Um, Seattle ran the 12th most this past year, I think it was. Uh, or no, no, they ran the 8th most at 12-something percent, and we're likely going to see them climb toward like 20% like the Broncos and the Bears have and the Chargers and the Rams, et cetera. Um, 
but yeah, so the fit is interesting. I think most most hires at you know assistant or associate head coach defense would you probably wouldn't even think twice about it. But the fact that as in like it's just some you know assistant like guy in the building job, but with a guy like Sean Desai who has profile and obviously there seemed to be he was getting a lot of DC interviews and Pete Carroll. There was a lot of emphasis from the media that Pete really wanted him. We can probably assume. Uh, along with the fact that Clint Hurt, this will be a, this will be the first time he's going to play caller that he'll probably have a larger role in general. So if we we're just to indulge in some in um, some fan fiction here, like if I would assume it would be all right. Carl Scott is the one that is like in the trenches with the players, a little bit more hands on on average, and like actually teaching the rules and 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 how the coverages need to work against certain patterns and formations, etc. Blah blah blah. But it will be. Um, it will be Desai who have a big, who will be like kind of Hertz right hand man in terms of blending, using those coverages, right? Not like what the coverages do within them, but then, all right, how do we then use these coverages over the course of a drive of a game? How do you game plan them? How do you blend them? Like you said, with the fronts, making sure they all blend together, making sure, all right, how, how can we accommodate our pass rushers when we need to, you know, making sure everything just overlaps the right way, like weaves in and out. Of, of a game plan over the course of a season. Obviously, Seattle's biggest problem was when they wanted to trot their pass rushers out there, their pressure numbers were okay. Like, they were not horrible. In fact, sometimes they were above average. The problem is that you can't always do that if you want to live in the coverages that they wanted to do. So they, I mean, you have to sacrifice one area to accommodate the other. Um, if you want to have an elite pass rush when you're in bear, you need to have peak Khalil Mack and peak Akeem Hicks, or you need to have Justin Smith and, and Alden Smith, or you need to have Aaron Donald and any given average edge to pair with him, right? So Seattle's thing was that when they were in bear, they had a great run defending line. It achieved the purpose that it needed to, to allow the second level to play more balanced, to allow you to play in too high, to, to deal with that second gap or that last, the, the lost, um, the gap that you're down, I meant to say in the run game. But when they indeed dropped back to pass, they couldn't get a four-man rush out of it. Well, that's why, uh, or a good four-man rush. That's why we saw a lot of drop bait. That's why we saw a lot of defensive tackles and coverage when really they're just dropping into a quick game window. And ironically, Seattle's numbers when doing so were pretty good when they dropped interior defensive linemen and even the bigger ends. Um, but the problem is like, that's not ideal. You don't want to solve your problems with a, a three-man rush. You want to... You want to be able to get home with four. Um, so they'll have to find ways. All right, how can we get in our even space fronts more and stuff without it hurting on the back end? Hmm. Um, one of the biggest things is one of the ways all those F Fangio defense guys do that um, is they play, they replace a lot of their cover, what Seattle, where Seattle would run cover three, you replace it with more cover one. When you're in man, you can stay gapped out. Of course, you can in cover three as well. But you can get stickier coverage and the pass rush and the coverage can kind of work hand in hand more. Um, the other thing is, well, if you want to play cover one, then you also have to have the, the cornerbacks, right? Well, going into the year, we probably wouldn't have thought that Seattle had good cover one personnel. Um, but when they dipped into their dime package, they could kind of choose where they wanted to put Ugo and some of the other guys a little bit more. They can mix and match more when they had... The peak of their depth, they were actually a pretty good cover one team. So I think Pete isolates that, says, all right, Carl Scott knows how to coach DBs. Um, 
Sean Desai knows how to coach DBs. He's had success with this. He knows how to blend it together, when to use it. Um, and Seattle might see them um, increase their cover one percentages from like 15% during that stretch when Jamal was healthy in the middle of the season when they started doing more of it, maybe climbing toward 20, 25%. Um, and, and then Desai will be there to like kind of help, you know, mold it all together. And of course, Clint Hurt will be too. I mean, he's the guy running, he's the defensive coordinator. So he's going to be having a huge part in that. It's just, we can expect Sean Desai to also play a big part. And then Carl Scott will be there, you know, hands-on coaching guys. Um, but like you said, back to the, the main concern, if there is a concern, is it too many cooks in the kitchen? I mean, Sean Desai also likes to coach guys he called like you said he calls himself a teacher so how do he and scott are they going to bump elbows are they gonna, is it going to be seamless is it going to be perfect you know divide and conquer i don't know obviously we won't know because we're not there in practice and stuff training camp might be interesting when they have footage like who's going to be with who um that, that might be something to look for but something uh yeah. something i'll be looking for from scott is uh like the seahawks don't play with divide or leverage um with their defensive backs where if they're if a receiver's outside the divider you play of inside leverage and middle field closed coverage if they're inside the divider you play of outside uh, uh leverage seattle just plays inside eye every all the time just keeps it simple um now scott might be in a situation where you know he's coming from the alabama thing he wants to do that and yeah i'll be interested in that uh the cover one thing i have i have quite a lot on um because uh, and for instance, for me, is like why do you why do you want to play cover one? Well, in 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 essence, because it's tighter coverage than cover three, right? A stickier coverage, something that like DJ Reed, as we said in in the previous episode, DJ Reed spoke about them playing stickier coverage. Um, Sean Desai himself back in uh, December, just before this, they played the Seahawks and beat them. He, uh, the Bears, that is, he said uh, in this league or with our defense, if we can win our leverage and we compete at the top of roots and compete at the point of attack in the run game, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, he's saying about how playing, you know, top down on roots and leveraging roots. Now, that is like the zone match quarter stuff we've spoke about, but it's also this cover one thing. And like, if you take that to the Nick Saban world and where Kyle Scott had, um, you know, his three years of experience as the defensive backs coach there. He's also worked under uh, Pete Golding for a while before that, the current uh, uh, Crimson Tide defensive coordinator who took him to, to Alabama in 2018. You know, think about their cover three, like Alabama's cover three, where they play Ripley's match, which Seattle does the soft sky thing where it's like a soft right. way, a, so, a, a scene match to one side, but you, everyone else is basically playing zone. Ripley's matches, there's more rules, it's, it's more complicated, and you've got seam matches on both sides. And if you get four verts, it plays out basically like cover one. It's it's more, it's tighter coverage. It's not to say Seattle doesn't match, but it's not as tight match when they're playing cover three. What did we see last year from Seattle down the stretch, especially? That rather than playing soft sky, they went to their alert stretch where they basically played man on the backside of cover three and got tighter coverage, uh, particularly to empty uh, three-by-two formations. They dared tighter coverage. They went tighter coverage in their Dime Plus package as well. Yeah. But you cut, you come back to this thing of ra rather than teaching Rip Blizz, just run more cover one because, as Bobby Wagner said, the cover three beaters are out there. Uh, teams know that. And also, you know, you, you kind of have to play this 
the way offenses are attacking Seattle, you have to play this tied to coverage. I go back to the bear, the bear stuff. The reason that that wasn't quite as successful as I think they thought it would be is because offenses were attacking them slightly differently. And there's so much good, like spread out answers this season, especially, which was so troublesome for Seattle and their like initial plan, really, I, I thought. And so, you know, then you go back to Kyle Scott again, um, sort of leaping around different coaches, but Kyle Scott, he's saying about why they play cover seven in that, that great clinic, which is on YouTube. And I tweeted it out and I know you've watched it too. He's saying they play cover seven, which we have on good authority is, was an influencing factor with for Pete Carroll when he's installing this Cleo defense. He's saying they run that because they get four over three on the strong side. They get three over two on the weak side. And he's saying it's because they're able to play tighter to roots and they have tighter coverage. They're trying to stay tight to the roots. And when Seattle doesn't turn the ball over at much at all, I think they're 26th in the league at takeaways last year, playing the tighter coverage to help the pass rush up front. Um, and those two go hand in hand. But that seems to be their approach this year, right? Yeah, it, it, it does. Um is I mean philosophically that might be where they want to shift to, but it's also like we said earlier, just looking at their own numbers. Like, oh hey, we were actually good in this area, but we could only do so much of it as the health of our team allowed. So theoretically, like let's get healthy, rally around this stuff because it helps. Because it it helps them like maximize. It helps them like fix some inherent issues like where, um like like the shortcomings of their base stuff you accent it with more with more man like right you accent accent it with more schemed actions via like fire zones like zone pressures right like the, you you just do as much of that as you need to complement like your your skeleton your backbone um so like pete's like well we need to do like probably looking at his numbers the way that we have and said oh hey we're actually good at this let's do more of it um and so for a bunch of the reasons you also just said being stickier um um philosophically and everything but so yeah so then carl scott is really interesting because for a, a lot of reasons obviously like the number one thing is yeah his saban background cover seven man match quarters and the, like is that going to ever catch on in the nfl besides you know like part of your third down package right um uh so watching the vikings they did do a little bit of like they ran like cover seven mod which is like the base form of of um man match quarters they would do it on early downs um and it's really not too far off of like you know just regular zone match quarters where the techniques are fairly similar it's just or no, and, the, the, the and quickly to still, that point um yeah. uh jim schwartz when he was a buffalo bills defensive coordinator his version of of this defense is was a zone match right mm -hmm. but he said it's a zone coverage with man-to-man -man principles like the lines really do blur and like when seattle's running it they'd call it zone match but like but ugo, down. ugo yeah. ugo's literally not looking that well he is looking at the quarterback which is a kind of crucial difference really but he his eyes go to the man first because he's playing inside leverage on the two walling two to one in that vertical hook technique he can then vision back to the quarterback but then that's not that different to alabama like when they get a a two a two three push especially and, yeah. and that kind of stuff quarterback vision suddenly gets back into the fold and insert certain elements of their cover seven um but 
on, on the Scott thing is. Oh, sorry, I interrupted you. Where no, no, going? no. Well, hold that thought though. But I was just gonna say, um, it's it's it, it begs the it bears begs the question. How how much more quarters are the, are they going to run? Uh, Sean mm. Desai didn't run that much quarters for. Not that the Fangio group are like run that much quarters, but they probably run the most in the league, like of all the trees. Um, uh, I think the Vikings ran like 20% of their stuff was quarters or something nearing that that range, whereas the Psy was like 7%, but then the Broncos were like 20%. I don't know what the Chargers did, but I know the Rams last year ran at like 20%, I think, hmm. which is like top five. Um, so you've got Carl Scott and Sean Desai. Are they going to – now, Sean Desai probably didn't run as much quarters this past year as he did when he was an underling of Pagano and, of course, Fangio probably just for personnel reasons, wanting to protect their corners a little bit because I think they had injuries there. And we think about Seattle this past year, they had a lot of injuries at corner or COVID absences, so they probably played more cover two down the stretch than they would have of more cover six and more court and more pure quarters. So like, yeah, right off the bat, are they going to run more quarters? And if they do, is it going to, are we going to be able to pick out like, hey, that's legitimate man match quarters on first down, first and 10 right there or second and eight, you know what I mean? Um, but then, so like that's where you got to get that out of the way. But then the other thing goes back to what you're saying about how Saban runs cover three versus Pete runs cover three. Is Carl Scott is like is Pete legitimately going to have both seams matched? Like that's immediately like if if we see that for the first time, they're running legitimate cover three versus a two by two formation, meaning two receivers to each side of the ball. Are they going to have Ugo Amadi carry one of those seams? You know, opposite Jamal Adams carrying one of the seams. Like if that happens. It might seem dumb because a lot of teams do it, but that would be the first time a Pete Carroll defense has ever done that. And I don't know if that's that's not necessarily better or worse. It's just significant because it's would be unique for for Pete. So how much does Pete let Carl Scott influence and shape his cover three? Because Pete has been running cover three for decades, as has everybody else. But it's just he has his specific brand and it's worked for him. Let's not forget that in 2020, even before the second half of the year explosion. If you isolate to the first half of the season when Seattle was giving up an ungodly amount of yards, if you isolate to just cover three, to just rush four cover three, meaning so no drop eight, no you know rushing five, all that stuff, just drop seven, four underneath spacing, playing their match rules the way that they do, regardless of where they put the safety, regardless of the formation um, or corresponding to each formation. Seattle was like the eighth best defense in cover three of the first half of 2020 rushing four. So like their cover three was good. It wasn't just an illusion in the second half of the season when they indeed improved to like second best by EPA per play. That's play action or no play action. So like Pete knows how to coach cover three if you have personnel. Seattle had pretty dang good cover three personnel in 2020. Um, maybe part of the reason for moving on is that is in 2021 from or going into 2022 moving on from ken and andres for probably a thousand different reasons they had a massive regression in cover three um and i mean we can pick that apart we don't need to right now but carl scott also the vikings they wanted to be a good cover three team even if they didn't run it as much vic fangio they still use cover three it's still a big part of their defense they need that to be effective so when they do run it pete wants that to improve and we'll see what uh, what changes they do um it'll be th that will be fun to watch for sure yeah on uh on scott you, and your point about you know sort of kind of how far do they take it 
obviously with with Saban, it's a world of uh, in Cover Seven, especially as as Scott himself described in that clinic. It, they have a toolbox and they have so many different coverage tools. Well, think about Seattle's Clio last year. They had the the like stock version versus like uh, two by two, uh, three by two, where to the nickel side you'd play um, like the cover two element, but with Ugo matching in the vertical hook. And then on the, the weak side you'd play like four lock, where uh, Jamal Adams is in like the hard quarter on the on the number two. Um, if they have a like a, and then you've got the the hard quarter from the cornerback on the on which the one, which Jamal but, is extremely good at, by the way. Yeah, Jamal. Quarters. His it, quarters suited, technique uh, is like immaculate, but it suited Adams perfectly, didn't it? Um, and then if you know they, they condense the set, maybe they'd uh, they'd rail it or and or switch it, maybe. And then if if they uh, if they had a slot out there onto the quarter side, then the the corner would play more. Uh, read kind of principles uh mm-hmm. and then three by one uh same deal on the the strong side of the coverage it seemed obviously wagner's more alert for a three two push um because he's playing the, the kind of final three he also has to kind of really match that three receiver up um so he's basically playing man on the three well sometimes uh, though right because sometimes it was jamal that would that they would task that with well 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 interestingly or... then yeah jamal on the backside he would play like poach and he'd always poach the number three so they sort of doubled the three um up um jamal's sort of playing three to the isolated uh wide receiver who was basically especially as the season progressed he was basically man-to-man coverage press from the from the cornerback and uh ra- rather than the backside linebacker being in the the court like a quarter flat player like uh kind of the extra dude he was basically man on the running back. And that, as the season played out, especially yeah. happened. So they're basically playing the man on the back side of Jamal as like a robber uh, to the front side. And that was the two things. But how far do you take that? Do you, uh, it's the NFL. And that is the limitation because you don't have as much practice time. Yeah. These things to be done well require a lot of execution. I think really the genius of the, the best defenses at the moment is how well they disguise things. And we saw the the kind of element of that all knitting together nicely last year for the Seahawks in certain games. Packers game stands out to me as absolutely outstanding disguise. I think yeah. this season, based on how offenses attack them, and I think the way that the league is and, and will continue to go, uh, I think we're kind of done with this kind of under center wide zone stuff. I think now it really is embracing the kind of uh, spread um, concepts and, ways to manufacture like i don't know i don't even know what i'm saying there but but, but, but i i think you know we're, we're moving more back to this this kind of spread passing game uh, and and then you know if you can run enough from that good but really seattle's going to be more of a nickel over team and they can work the too high off that they can use adams as as the way to solve run for issues um and you know one of the minor coaching changes was Aaron Curry switching from assistant outside linebackers coach to assistant defensive line defense end coach. And, you know, this is maybe reading too much into it, but to me, um, that reflects the fact that they are going to play nickel more even fronts, mainly over fronts, because 
there's less of a need for outside linebacker coaching like there was in 2021 because yeah. 2021 was the closest to a three four we'd seen and like the leo was a sam the sam was kind of a leo especially when mayo and uh oh daryl taylor out on the field and in 2022 those lines are less blurred for one the sam won't be on the field as much if they're going to play nickel more often um mm -hmm. But it's and it will just be two defensive ends out there. Yeah, they'll yeah. they'll they'll run under a bit when they need to get into like run down defense. But that's only one outside linebacker down reduce, at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. And so Kari's emphasis, uh, you know, he he had been doing work on the outside linebacker edge setting at the start of that season. This year, it's more just going to be looking at the defensive ends because yeah. they'll they'll get more action. So yeah. Is it what? And so we saw them for all the bear that they did. We still saw them play like even fronts when they weren't too high this past year, like in a pinch. And they were, you know, fine well, I think, with, I think yeah. they kind of, um, I don't have the data to back this up, which would be useful, but I think they kind of fell into it more and more. I guess the style of offense yeah. also influenced that, but like, seems as the year ended, they were really getting into that. But yeah, I mean they've always they, had they've yeah. always had that. Like when they're in nickel, they're not gonna be well, I guess they can they could be in bear a bit, but it seemed to me they kind of to get Dunlap rushing, um they just played that like I mean Cleo can be done out of nickel bear or, or the, uh, the overfront, yeah. but yeah. I I mean, because they're content with making it work as as far as pirating and slanting wherever they need to make sure right. that they stay space. The thing though is that when you're playing you know quarters behind an even front or cover six whatever cover two whatever um even if you are in a better spaced front the defensive alignment still have to think a little bit heavier on the run they still have to play a little bit heavier on the run within that so it, it helps part of the issue right so um but yeah the more that they're in it and the more they're able to make that work the more chances they can like all right hey jet out the ends a little bit when they need to mm -hmm. right like, okay, and this is and a situation where, where you um, can and to your past point that's where cover one and uh right. cover three re-emerge because you're gapped out and so then this is where both scott and asai coming in are interesting because the vikings they did some bear this year um but they they play even fronts they play a lot of over and i think some under and they play quarters behind both of those or or they play quarters by and over, but um, like so, Carl Scott has familiarity with doing this by an even front. Sean Desai and Clint Hurt obviously have very rich background doing it behind Bear, um, and and trying to accentuate their pass rushers within that even as well. Um, and then Pete Carroll obviously has been doing nothing. Well, not nothing. I'm oversimplifying. But he's been doing a lot of bear the last two years. He's always had bears and auxiliary front as a tool when he needs it. But he's based out of it the last two years, more or less. And then obviously, of course, he has all the the background with with over reduced over under reduced under et cetera et cetera et cetera. So we might see a really interesting blend um, this yep. year. So it's interesting as well because like the the refresh aspect of it like this is the first time the Seahawks will be without um a coach who a defensive coach who was on the staff in 2010 um so all of the old guard are gone i mean john glenn was a special teams assistant in 2012 he is like the oldest yeah. guy on the staff uh Aaron Curry obviously depressing. played in 2010 2011 but yeah, yeah this is a i like it and i don't like it a new era of young guys and with with uh 
the Sean Shed backing up. We should quickly yeah. say on her as well that um, we have uh, we have you know complemented the interior of the defensive lines technique, and that I think can be attributed to to her. Um, Clint Hurst. Yeah, coaching. I don't, I don't, I don't look at the results of the pass rush and think, hey, who's the defensive line coach? You either have the guys or you don't. It's pass rush. It's like saying. It's like saying, "Hey, why is not why are why isn't this backup wide receiver catching a thousand yards?" Well, because he's a backup wide receiver. Again, when they were in the fronts that worked for pass rush, their numbers reflected the talent. I don't think that they underperformed. I don't think any one player underperformed expectation as far as pass rush, and then being able to, um, like, are they in a position where they could actually get some pass rush going here? Like, yes, no, you know, like controlling for that. I mean, I guess Dunlap's first half of the season was weird, but he attributes mm. that to needing more snaps. But, like, you can't just keep playing him to see if it will work when Alton and Mayoa and Daryl Taylor aren't getting snapped. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if that, if that works. And I also think his second half of the season explosion was just correlated with rushing against tackles with terrible anchors, which is fine because if your number two edge rusher theoretically behind Taylor next year is can just beat up bad tackles, take it. Like that's, that's great. Yep. Um, Cause he can power from right and left. So whatever. All right. So then on the, well, hold on. Of, yeah. Yeah. Will Tukarafu is the quality control coach oh, yeah. for the that Super's rules. defense. I'm That's glad that he chose defense instead of offense. Yeah, being... good side of the ball. I'm sure he was given yeah. the choice. Yeah, That's yeah, the morally correct decision. All right, mm-hmm. so offense, the big one is we saw Mike Solari go. It's tragic. Um, and But Andy Dickerson got promoted from run gate coordinator to just controlling the entire offensive line now, which probably makes sense given that Shane Waldron, he's, he was a package deal with Shane Waldron. I mm. think this was always like probably telegraphed in hindsight. Yeah, with uh, uh, with Kevin O'Connell, well, supposedly, by the time this goes out, he probably has been announced as oh, true. Minnesota Vikings head coach. Um, I, probably you know, his round back, I'm sure he was going to offer Dickerson the O-line yeah. job. This, yeah. But uh, yeah, sucks for Solari, but he he kind of meshed. A fine job. He meshed well, especially down the stretch. But then we'll never know how much of that was Dickerson and the, how, how if there was any tension between the two. I, I don't. So think it was. we we have to remember though, in twenty during the cable years, there was like no power to accent their outside and inside zone running game, and then I mean Shadi also has background with like all run schemes, so I'm sure it was both of them. But Solari has lots of backgrounds with running gap schemes, right? Yep. So I th- I always thought their power encounter stuff, even their trap was like always like just the right amount of it, and it always seemed to work well, you know, as a complement um, to their to the main dish of zone. So I always thought that was cool. It was awesome that Pete, because Pete loves zone too himself. Even being a defensive guy, he has like firm beliefs about like offensive design too. So it was cool that Pete like invited that and just let them do their thing there. Um, so I'll, we, we will appreciate Solari for that, um, on the protection. That's a big topic. And we'll talk about that in the next episode, probably a little bit more. Um, as far as you can judge offensive line play or offensive line coaches, I don't know if there's much to complain about, at least as far as attributing it to him. Um, I know that's like getting political talking about pass protection, but, uh, um maybe uh andy dickerson will help there improve it even more i don't know maybe this is good for like language wise 
given that it's um, Shane Waldron's offense and Dickerson has like knows exactly, you know, how to um, coach protections the way Waldron wants and how to, you know, communicate all of that and getting the center and quarterback and everyone on the same page. So maybe that will be good through the lens of there not being too many cooks in the kitchen, one unified voice. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. We'll see what happens there. We will indeed. And obviously, uh, Chad Morton gets promoted, run game coordinator. Chad Morton took, right, yeah, running backs coach. He's now run game coordinator. And uh, Sanjay Lal is back, which I, I found big because obviously, um, when he left, uh, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett were upset about that, um, voiced their uh, disappointment in that decision. He obviously left to uh, reunite with Brian Schottenheim in Jacksonville. But Sanjay had, um, I don't know why I want to call him Sanjay, Lal, he uh, he received praise, I think, you know, throughout that season when Russ was uh, being let cook and all of that thing. And, uh, yeah, he, he clearly, clearly is thought of highly, so that's good. I mean, another minority uh, hire, which is also very good. Pete, Pete Carroll embracing diversity, very good. And... Uh, yeah. What, what what else? What else is that? Um did did Kerry Joseph's role change? Or is he still the assistant wide receivers coach? Because his his background is I think his Bob he's Kondotta a quarterback. of the Seattle Times uh tweeted out that eight different uh only eight uh coaching staff roles remain the same, which includes Pete Carroll. Oh, so he, so he it shows so how he's much assistant quarterback happened. now? Uh, yeah. Okay, that's good. Obviously, a, a huge problem with not enough black coaches being hired is because, at like a head coach, is because the pipeline people are hiring offensive mm-hmm. coordinators, right? And there aren't enough yeah. black offensive coordinators because they're not given the position because most of them are obviously have quarterback backgrounds, and then we know that there aren't enough black quarterbacks because they're being switched positions more frequently on average at lower levels, like at peewee and middle school high school etc so it's like a huge mm-hmm. systemic yeah, I saw, issue so. i saw uh i'm not i'm i'm not in this position so i don't know um I, i'm not paid to make these decisions but i saw a theory that um puts make making every team have to have a black coach uh what as that work with the quarterback or on the on as an offensive coordinator uh to promote to try and increase like the black head coaching hires because like you're saying if if you're touching the quarterback and the offense that would seem to be the likeliest way to to get hired as a head coach but then that logic kind of falls apart when you see um whatever the heck yeah. is going on with uh i mean eric the enemy uh byron leftwich yeah. um yeah <laughs> so i don't i don't yeah. know I it's, mean, just, there, it's I messed don't... up but from a seahawks perspective good hopefully it um, actually does lead to something. I mean, it's, it's it's a joke at this point. I mean, Kevin O'Connell probably is, for all we know, he's probably a great coach, great football mind, et cetera, but is he getting hired on those merits necessarily? I mean, he, you know, shared a room with Sean McVay, uh, you know, an office of Sean McVay, and every, every one of those guys get hired now. Um, so it's just... Mm-hmm. I, I, Eric Bieniemy's and Byron Leftwich's resume totally stands up to ninety percent of the white coaches that get hired every year. So, 
I don't know. Um, it's cool mm. that and, uh, Joseph is working with the quarterbacks now, and hopefully he gets the main quarterback job somewhere here or another elevation in the future yeah, here yeah. pretty quickly. And uh, Dave Canales was promoted to quarterbacks coach. So there you go. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, that's that. And um, yeah, I guess that that's a, a nice positive to finish on is, you know, Pete Carroll, he's been outspoken, um, especially, well, I think he always has been, but um, on social issues, uh, it seems he's sort of tried to show more of a yeah a stance on certain things. And uh, he, yeah, he, after he, a few missteps. <laughs> Yeah, I mean he's he's an old white guy at the end of the day, but he knows I think it. He he does know it, and um, you know, it is reflected in his hiring. Not that we're here patting Pete Carroll on the back for doing what should be the bare minimum, but it's good that he does do it. So, yeah. and yeah, there's a lot of talent. This coaching staff seems very talented on paper. Talented, young, and the kind of deal where. You know, really, they should get hired away if everything goes right. They should be getting hired away. Like it could be that we we've spoke about all these guys for forty five minutes, and you know, Desai goes yeah. and Scott goes after Jamal Adams is uh, reju- <clears throat> rejuvenated in the PFF coverage grade sense. And uh... like, all right, so not to ramp. Like, I love Gus Bradley, but he will never not have a DC job, regardless of the results of his team. Chris Richard, how is he? Like, why is he having to settle for? Why is he out of football for a year? And Rashad does more. Like, Rashad does legitimately Rashad more. He's legitimately coverage. better. Yeah, Bradley. So, li- yeah. I, I, I and I love Gus Bradley, man. But Bradley, I couldn't believe watching his defense. They actually do just lit. They sit and off cover three. Like they don't even press. It's not even good. It's not even like the good Pete Carroll version of cover three, man. Wait, it, so Rashad Chris, still doesn't have a job? No, no. So he's the the DB coach for the Saints and a bunch of other guys are being interviewed. Like Michael Wilhoy is being interviewed for it, but it's, and maybe like Dennis Allen already has his idea. There's another, I think the defensive line coach is like a high ranking position already. It'll probably come down to that guy who I forget his name and Chris Richard, but you think like Chris Richard is the easiest promotion given his background and the fact that uh, yeah, Dennis I, Allen I has thought, a I thought he'd get that. Coach. Defensive back. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But if he does get the DC job, I'm insulted on his behalf. Anyway, okay. Anyway. Well, we 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 love Chris Rashard, and yeah. Anyway, thank you, thank you for listening to episode 31. Please do check out uh, episode 32, where we'll recap the Seahawks 2021 offense because we did that for the defense. The offense, we're only spending one episode on because it's the offense. And, uh, yeah, please like, retweet, share, and uh, support us. We appreciate you.